Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hemograph, dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the primal war, in the dawn of the birth, man mastered the mammoth and Still he lives, two thousand years have passed, and still we're yearning for his return. We fulfill a wishful prophecy, and so the chanting begins. Hail Caesar, hail Caesar, we render unto you what is still yours. Yes indeed, yes indeed. A little bit of Morbid Angel there for you, Caesar's Palace. Um, and this, today, Tuesday's rock metal musical... Um, whatever you want to call it, bonus. Is it a bonus? I don't know. Bonus episode of Agitators Anonymous is the audio of um, a YouTube video I made just very recently, which is a kind of, um, I call them Call from the Grave after the great Bathory song on Under the Sign of the Black Mark. But it's a retrospective, random, rather ramshackle and disorganized look through and over a band's career where I tell a few, well, the odd time, um, daft anecdotes or maybe some personal memories connected to uh, said band, that kind of thing. And last week I did one which seemed reasonably popular, which is Morbid Angel. If you want to go and watch the video of it, just go over to YouTube and have a look for Alan Averill. That's me. And you will find my YouTube channel um, as I crawl through the um, followers to world dominance There will be some more videos and some more, well, other bits and pieces showing up there on YouTube. The continuation of some of the chats I've been doing with Addy from Solstavir. We're going to do, I think, Black Sabbath or Thin Lizzy. Next, some more of the Metal Salvage chats with Joe from Gamma Bomb, which we might make into a podcast in its own right. Who knows what else have we got to do with our lives as we hurtle towards Doomsday? Who knows, my friend? Well, the normal episode of Agitators Anonymous will be along on Friday. And it's going to be, I think, a little bit more serious, a little bit more political. Did you miss me and my lovely political opinions? Well, let's see how what you think of Friday's episode. If you like the podcast, please feel free to share it with people, peer-to-peer sharing, whatever you want to call it. 
Uh, word of mouth is how the podcast grows. Send it to somebody you dislike. Send it to somebody you like. Send it to somebody you want to irritate. Send it to somebody for whatever reason. For whatever reason. Hit me up. Give me a like. In uh, the uh, You can rate the podcast, all that kind of thing. If you want to hear more of um, my dulcet tones and opinions and nonsense, um, you can support the show over on patreon.com slash Alan Averill. There's other podcasts, other various rehearsals, all sorts of things happen over there. All sorts of things. It's very exciting. It's like being a member of the Kevin Keegan fan club in 1983. I can guarantee that. Or perhaps the Bay City Rollers in 1976. Modern cultural references. Yes, that's my forte and what you are here for, no doubt. The show continues to be sponsored by MetalBlade.com. Um, the special deal we have is in North America. Use the promo code ALAN for 10% off your order. You could go back and order some of those old Merciful Fate albums, Cannibal Corpse, all sorts of things like that. The links are below in the description. And a returning sponsor, which is Hate Couture. Hate Couture um, is a, let's call it, hateful yet tasteful apparel clothing company coming up in the world. You probably saw them at Hellfest. Um, they had a kind of cool booth there. And lots of musicians have started wearing their clothes on stage. I'm, you know, I suppose something of a... I don't really like the word brand ambassador. That sounds a bit ridiculous. But I kind of like some of the designs and wear them now and again. Um, and so they kind of sponsor the podcast also you can use the promo code ALAN and you need to go to www.hate as in I hate you couture c-o-u-t-u-r-e 616.com slash forward slash I guess that is um, use the promo code ALAN and you'll get free shipping which believe me right now counts for a hell of a lot and they've got some cool deals going on um, you know percentages off t-shirts all that kind of thing um, I need to uh, do a bit of housekeeping also, which is to mention that Primordial are playing with Of The Wand and The Moon, which is really interesting, on the 27th of July in Dresden, in the Reithalle Strasse, Werner Hartmann Strasse, Dresden. Um, this is our only club show of the summer, um, and at the moment, the only German club show, um, like small club show of the year, as far as I understand. So, um, yeah. 22nd of July, 2022, Dresden. Um, and so with a further, without further ado, um, let's get into this. This is me waffling about, arguably, the greatest death metal band in the world, Morbid Angel. Let me know who you think I should do next. And we shall see you on Friday, my fellow fiends. So let's do this. Who are we talking about today? Why am I holding this? Who knows? It's the return of Call from the Grave. And today we're talking about Morbid Angel. Probably, possibly, let's be honest, the greatest death metal band of all time. Maybe not the most consistent, but we'll get into that. And what I'm going to do is go over, I suppose, the band's career, talk about all the different records, all that kind of stuff. Some I have, some I don't seem to have, some I appear to have lost. Of course, I'm, as usual, Super prepared. But yes, this is the return of Call from the Grave, and this is Morbid Angel. First off, first off, yes, this is a Thy Kingdom Come original demo shirt. Um, it's from the top shelf of Fuck You, You Don't Have These Heavy Metal Elitist T-shirts. And God damn it, of course I was going to wear it if I'm going to talk about Morbid Angel. And no, I don't have an original Thy Kingdom Come demo cassette to show you. Throughout all the years, most of my cassettes have gone missing somewhere. 
Um, I blame my mother for probably putting them on eBay. Who knows? Anyway, so no, there aren't loads of cassettes. I used to have uh, tons and tons of Morbid Angel bootleg cassettes. That was kind of like a thing to collect back in the day, tape trading as many different um, bootlegs as possible from 85, 86, 87. And some of them were just incredible. Um, some of them were entirely well worth tracking down, of course. Um, for some reason, I bought this Morbid Angel bootleg not so long ago, 1985, live at the Power Company. Um, pretty interesting stuff. I mean, most people don't realize Morbid Angel started in 84, I think. Um, and this one has all sorts of songs. I mean, let me read you the track list. Abominations, Call of the Night, Covens of the Dancer, Morbid Angel, Maze of Torment, Bring in the Blood, Demon Dance, Welcome to Hell. Very odd that you would name a song Welcome to Hell post Welcome to Hell, Necro Metal, love that title, Dead Zone, Doomed by the Living Dead, indeed a merciful fate cover stuck at the end. Um, yeah, it doesn't sound amazing, but it's, you know, it's a pretty, pretty tasty bootleg. There used to be the thing back in the day to collect as many bootlegs as possible of Morbid Angel and listen to them religiously. Um, so there is like an awful lot of back, back story to, um, to Morbid Angel that exists before Altars of Madness, which is probably one of the reasons why by the time they hit Altars of Madness, the band was such a fine honed weapon, so to speak, because um, they'd spent five years preparing for making that fucking record. Um, so what prompted this is I got an email in my inbox and it said, um, what is the greatest heavy metal debut of all time? What is the greatest heavy metal debut of all time? Hmm. Heavy metal now, not Black Sabbath, for example. Um, now, of course, this, this answer can change month to month, year to year, but the standard answers over the last few decades are Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden, Melissa, obviously, Wasp, debut Wasp, yep, no doubt, Welcome to Hell, Morbid Tales, Epicus Dumicus, Metallicus. Um, but today, um, during this email thread, which I think was in Deaf Forever magazine, shout out to Deaf Forever, um, ah, this chair is getting kind of squeaky. Um, that's not going to sound good on a podcast, is it? Anyway, Altars of Madness, today is my answer. Altars of Madness. And when you really think about it, it very well could be, right? I mean, it's arguably the greatest death metal album of all time. Maybe if you've grown up on the more modern sort of death metal, um, I don't know what you would call it. For me, it's kind of stop-starty, down-tuned, modern sort of compressed death metal, you might have a completely different attitude. I don't know, really. I mean, oddly enough, I just watched Gatekeeper um, play live and all the dudes are wearing Demolich, Autopsy, Morbid Angel, and Tomb shirts, Dismember. Crowd is quite different, a bit more hardcore, but for sure, the new dudes get the old style. Um, not to place myself um, nearer to the age of Morbid Angel than the age of the guys from Gatekeeper. I imagine I'm probably nearer their age. However, that's neither here nor there really, isn't it? But if you ask me, the trifecta of death metal is probably Altars of Madness, Deicide, Deicide, and Mental Funeral. Although that could be forced out of the third place into fourth place, and there ain't no medal for third place, by Seven Churches. Um, you know, those are but... but for many, many years, Altars of Madness, Deicide, and Mental Funeral have been the trifecta. But is it really the debut? 
or is this really the debut? Abominations of Desolation. Um, it's hard to say because um, back in the day, this is from 1986, um, did it never really kind of sort of did or didn't come out in the original, the very, very original intention, which I think was David Vincent had a Gork Records or something. He formed a label to release the record because he wasn't even the band yet. It's got Mike Browning of Nocturnus, um, Acheron fame on it. Um, shout out to Mike, who I also uh, book some gigs for, by the way, in case you want to book Nocturnus. It's neither here nor there. Um, it, it, did, it, did it not really kind of come out? Shubna Gorath, the goat with a thousand young. This is a Japanese um, Satanic Records, 1991, licensed from Gork Records, Charlotte, North Carolina, printed in Japan. So this, I, I mean, it's hard. Some probably Morbid Angel fans are screaming at me in there. Well, in, in the void, saying this was not the original one, etc., etc. I mean, the story is, of course, uh, the cover artwork by Lucifer. It's nice that he, um, you know, took some time out of his day of taking over the world or whatever he's been doing to do the artwork. Um, I mean, I probably should have read the, you know, this whole explanation at the back, but... Um, Anyway, this is 1986, and um, Legend has it, as I said, that David Vincent put together the label to release the record. And this is very, very extreme, I mean, for 86. Most, I think most, just like um, some of the more mainstream heavy metal labels, weren't sure what to do with Death yet. Um, they weren't what, sure what to do with Master, with Repulsion. And there were, some, there were some heavy metal or... There were some death metal albums from 86 that were recorded that never quite got released. I mean, if you've got a version of Repulsion Horrified, they so the story is, is they tried to shop this around to labels, but it wasn't released until um, the Carcass guys got a side label um, on Earache Records, that kind of thing. Ever met anyone with the original? Shut the fuck up. Ever met anyone with the original? Um, I don't think I ever have. Like I said, I have a feeling this is one of the first or second. It's probably not the first versions. Um, what the fuck? It's called living in a big city. These are the things you watch YouTube for. Anyway, I have one version. This is no doubt. This is no doubt a bootleg, but this is an absolutely incredible album. Does it really count as the first or the debut album of Mor Morbid Angel? Um, it was the holy the grail of tape trading back in the day. I mean, I made my own cover, um, you know, when I was a kid. Um, my copy is dot, 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 out of a thousand. They haven't managed to scribble in what number my copy is. Um, you know, this is before Pete Sandoval. This is before David Vincent were in the band. Um, shame on Earache for changing the classic original artwork. You've probably seen this as the kind of weird sort of side of a ship, sort of steel-looking album on Earache Records. Um, but if you listen to it on Spotify or whatever... Um, it is still the same version. Hunting down this version, I'm sure there are many, many bootlegs since, since this version. But this is a pure, nasty, evil, vile record. I mean, it's so fucking brutal. Unholy Blasphemy's Chapel of Ghouls opening after the invocation of the Eoxaka um, will just warp your fucking mind. And this is before, um, as I can understand it, the Thy Kingdom Come demo, which is maybe the greatest death metal demo of all time, there's no doubt about it. Um, and this is the 
you could tell what was going to happen. If you listen to the album, I mean, the songs are slower. They haven't picked up into blast beats really yet. This is still sort of somewhere between Possessed and Venom style death metal. But um, Lord of All Fevers and Plagues, Hellspawn, Abominations, Demon Seed, Welcome to Hell. Welcome. Anyway, maybe I should ask Mike Browning what's going on with it. But yeah, if you can track it down. Um, or just listen to the original on, or the version on Spotify. This is a clear, well, it's not really clear. It's a sort of pissy yellow vinyl, um, which is kind of apt. But um, is this really the debut? It's very hard to say because it was really just a tape trading debut, I think, in, 1980, um, in 1986. If you have the original Gork Records one, well, then maybe let me know in the comments or just, you know, find it and send it to me. But it's hard to really underestimate the influence of this when it came out. Um, by the first thing I should mention is that I don't really like the cover. I mean, I know it's Dan Seeger at his best, but even at 14, I found it too much like the, it's too, too goofy. I found it a bit, this, these little weird, smiley faces always irritated me even when I was 14 what a, what this is the proper cover of Altars of Madness and it should be and that's what's on the inside um, and then the lyric sheet um, it just sort of irritated me because it was too too goofy um, which betrays what an absolutely fucking violent and brutal record this is the difference of course Pete Sandoval joins from Terrorizer and the band step up the blasting you'll notice of course this is Tom Morris in Morris Sound, and this was always a very clever thing Morbid Angel did, they didn't record with Scott Burns. Maybe this is a bit before Scott Burns, well, Scott Burns did Slowly Rot in the same year and made an amazing uh, job of that, but Slowly Rot is quite different from his, where he went afterwards with his productions. But Tom Morris seemed to have more of a, uh, you know, there's, this is a proper kind of like, it's a very hard drum sound, but it's a hard rock influence drum sound, like it's a big bass drum big snare, which was not really the Morrisound way. Um, but is this the greatest death metal album of all time? I would say, yeah. Um, this is, I mean, the, hearing this for the first time was just sort of like everything just stepped up a level. Everything. You, you were trading demos, you were trading whatever. A big, a big album before this was Pestilence, Malus Maleficarum, which is 88, which is a year before this, and which, but that was more kind of boom, black thrash, death thrash, but that's a, that's a huge record for me, along with Leprosy and, of course, Scream Bloody Gore. Death Row already had two albums ahead by this stage, but Morbid Angel was probably the most tape-traded band. You had the split 7-inch with Slaughter Lord, all that kind of thing. But is this possibly the greatest just heavy metal debut of all time? And I include Iron Maiden and Merciful Fate in that. It's very, very possible. Um, it was just, I mean... If you have this, getting the CD of it at the time gave you like three or four extra tracks, including the incredible Lord of All Fevers and Plagues, which for some reason only appeared on the CD. I suppose that was just the purpose at the time to try and make people buy the CD, um, as if that really needed to be done. But Immortal Rites, Suffocation, Visions from the Dark Side, blah, Maze of Torment, Chapel of Ghouls, Bleed for the Devil, Damnation, Blasphemy, Evil Spells. I mean, even just the other day, I tried to play along with Chapel of Ghouls on the bass and then went, come on, really? What are you doing? Know your limits. And then if you go and watch Morbid Angel live at Nottingham Rock City, I think in 89 on the Grindcrusher tour, 
it, they're a force of nature. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. If, if Slayer had taken them out in 89, they would have ri really pushed Slayer and probably give them a fucking bitch slap a few nights. They're, it's just incredible. Maybe, I think, one of the greatest live, met, live death metal footage of any band. Um, and for me, this is arguably um, probably the greatest death metal album of all time. And so you give it, you give it full marks. There's no other way around it. Um, like I said, at the time, it really dropped like a bombshell on the scene. I suppose 89 is also Severed Survival, um, which is a huge body blow as well. But this was just a kind of other level evil, other level evil. Um, classic Vincent Pose on the back, Trey on the other side with the inverted cross that I think he got lasered off at some stage. Um, Pete Sandoval, um, you know, if you listen to the version of Chapel of Ghouls from from Abominations, and then you listen to the chap version um, from Alters of Madness, you can hear the big step up in musicianship. Um, you know, you've got proper blasting and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, it just set out a bar so high that, I mean, realistically, the band never quite, I mean, it's arguable, but I, I don't think, I think that's, that's the greatest Morbid Angel album, but it's got some very stiff competition. Um, by 1990, 89, 1991, I was all over tape trading, writing letters to everybody. And because of all the Morbid Angel bootlegs that I'd got before Autism of Madness had come out, I'd heard Abominations. Um, you'd heard more or less all of side two of Blessed Are the Sick. The rumor goes that Blessed Are the Sick was recorded as an EP, which is only side one, because all side one is new songs. But all of side two is old songs. Thy Kingdom Come. Tone, Unholy Blasphemies, Abominations, Desolate Ways, um, kind of beautiful acoustic guitar piece. I think the only thing that Richard Brunel wrote from Morbid Angel, The Ancient Ones, and then the throwaway silly piano um, exit. But I remember talking to a friend of mine when it came out, and back then you would go into the record shop knowing today is the day Blessed of the Stick comes out. And I remember it came into the record shop in Dublin the same day as Mental Funeral. And the pull of looking at the two records on the on the on the wall going which do i have enough money for trying to count out your coins and saying to my mate well you have enough money for mental funeral you i, I gotta buy a cassette tape extra and i'll buy bless of the sick and you go home and then you tape each other and you spend like all week like just listening to bless of the sick over 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 and over again i remember talking to some um a friend of mine guys still a friend of mine we're listening to in the record shop going wow all these songs I know on side two, and then you realize like, oh, not everyone tape trades. But I think it was meant to be an EP. And then Eric told them, you have to flesh this out. Either way, um, Bless Her Sick is masterful. Um, it's very modern sounding for the time of 91, with a drum sound that's something of a precursor to the late 90s, up front, kind of airless click, very compressed sort of drum sound. It's a touch less caustic and violent and actually natural sounding than Autism Madness, but it's a very dark, sidestep and I remember MTV doing the um the you know the um, the premiere of the Blessed Are the Sick video and it really being we were thought we thought is 1670 this is really pushing the boundaries and there was even boobs in it um and it really set Morbid Angel uh, kind of on a different trajectory 
And you can see now looking back, you've heard other bands, other death metal at the time, kind of slagging them a bit for their seeming infatuation with their own image. But at the time, the band photos with all of them sort of, you know, with kind of um, women a la Ken Kelly, Man of War, Kiss at their feet, kind of, you know, which you probably wouldn't get away with now. But at the time, we were 16, 17, going, my God, look at these serious guys. Um, and the piano intro is perhaps the only blemish on this on this record, um, which is altogether silly and needless. Um, two lyric sheets for some reason I don't just notice that now. Why do I just notice that now, after all these years? Um, anyway, yeah, "Bless Those Are Sick" is quite a black metal at the time was just clambering up the sort of steep mountainside. Um, of 1991, and many of us were, um, you know, 1990, end of 89, 1991, we're starting to hear Masters Hammer, Samael, Rotting Christ, um, Varathron, these kind of bands, um, Beherit, Blasphemy, etc. And that was beginning to take our, I suppose, um, attention span as in terms of the underground, because most of the death metal bands were, had released, were starting to release albums now. And that was just sort of taking them out of the underground into the sort of we'll call it the overground for sake of purposes, but the blackmail was still about tape trading. And tape trading was such a kind of lifestyle choice, in a sense, that we sort of, once a band had released an album, it's sort of like, you know, you know, fly my, fly my children, be free. Um, and you sort of felt like you'd done your part in tape trading. When Dawn of Possession came out by Immolation, you thought, well, maybe there's someone somewhere who has um, bought this because I tape traded um, you know, the Immolation Demo 88 or Demo 89, of which they push the Morbid Angel demos very close. And it's um, if somebody could re-release Stepping on Angels Before Dawn on vinyl, I would be very happy. And that's the Immolation demo compilation. That's my personal request. But death, black metal was climbing up the mountainside to kind of kick death metal a bit into touch by 1992, just like death metal had kind of done to thrash. Most people, I think most people don't really realize, but Thrash, by the end of 1990, even though Clash of the Titans was like the big, you know, Slayer Megadeth tour, it felt like it'd run out of steam. At least to me, it, it, it had, wasn't capturing my attention anymore. I'd kind of left the building with half of Seasons in the Abyss, songs like Blood Red, um, not dinky riffs, not my thing, especially when you were sitting on listening to Master's Hammer or something, and Morbid Angel just came along and just went to most of the thrash stuff I made, listening to, you know, no, I'm not going to say names, but like if you, what would you listen to rather than Autism Madness or Practice What You Preach if you're an angry 15-year-old? Autism Madness, right? Yeah, okay. So, Morbid Angel, this Blesser and Sick, I would still give it almost full marks. Um, or full marks. It's incredible. Uh, oddly enough, it's the same cover as Hexen House, Hexen House from Sweden, where Mike Weed, who plays in Merciful Fate, came from. Um, I think he was in Memento Mori as well. It's pure nerdisms. Um, they use the same artwork, which is very strange. Um, if you can track down Hexen House, I'm not really sure what the album is called, but their version of it is a bit less pink. But anyway, so but black metal had been ascending to the throne to try and, you know, dethrone death metal. And by 1992, the landscape had really changed. And oddly enough, 1992 was a year Morbid Angel 
excuse me, had attempted to, uh, had seemed to take off 1992. They'd been touring. I think they'd played even some shows as a three-piece. Um, now, this is the kind of, uh, what would you say? Let me just move that there. I bought this on cassette for some reason back in the day, 1993, and I think it was because um, the vinyl didn't come into the shop properly, and it's on those small decisions you don't end up with an original covenant like the normal vinyl. This is just a picture disc version of it. Um, and black metal was just obsessing our mental space, but covenant, which I also give full marks to, this was like, um, this just blew my fucking mind when I first heard it. The look of disbelief on all of us gathered in that same record shop when um, Rapture rolls out like the heavy artillery, jaws dropped. Um, we didn't expect this from Robert Angel because our, our, our headspace was just a, a blaze in the northern sky and all this kind of stuff. We didn't, we kind of went, eh, well, pff, maybe death metal feels a bit done. But when Rapture rolled in, if you told me this was the best Morbid Angel album, I would also hear this argument. They made a genius move of um, getting Fleming Rasmussen, who did Ride the Lightning, um, a Master of Puppets, to engineer um, in Denmark. And that gives this album a really natural tone. Um, it, it has an incredible guitar tone, an incredible drum sound, um, which was where a lot of purists at the time were heading towards. Scott Burns' production by 1992, I think the scene was kind of rebelling against what his production represented. You listened to Butchered at Birth maybe at the time, um, and I listened to quite a lot of Cannibal again during lockdown and found, you know, a newfound respect for them because I'd sort of filed them away for the last 20 years under, meh, don't really care about this kind of death metal, but there is something sick about that old stuff. Um, and But Butchered at Birth, to me, it sounds like it needs a facelift of a remaster. A, the drum sound is duck, 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 duck very kind of small, and I think the scene was reacting against some of the Scott Burns production, My Level and Creation, Retribution, I think, at the same time as well. Um, whereas Morbid Angel with Covenant went away, uh, totally the other way, and Covenant flexes um, a muscle that I think few bands at the time could think about doing. It was super vital, energetic, backed up with some incredible videos, because um, I think Morbid Angel signed to a major label at the time. Um, Covenant is an absolute tour de force, and it it has, um, you know, Angel of Disease, which is a very very old song where they tune seem to tune back up again, or at least it sounds like to my dumb ears. Um, but like it's God of Emptiness, where Vincent shows us he has a singing voice. Um, Vengeance is mine. Lion's Den, which is one of the few music that Dave Vincent seems to have written, if my memory is not incorrect. But Rapture, Pain Divine, the downtuned world of shit. Incredible, absolutely incredible. Arguably, I would say for me, I prefer this to Blessed of the Sick. So, um, again, full marks. And one of the most incredible vocal performances. Got to give this to Vincent. It's one of the things about modern death metal that sometimes leaves me on the shore when it's just... But there's no diction. No, like Vincent is almost like the Dio of death metal singing. Every word you can hear without a lyric sheet. And for me, that's something I always try to emulate with my own singing in Primordial was to make every word understood. And um, Vincent's vocal performance on this are kind of untouchable in terms of death metal. Um, it's just inflected with every part of the nuance, the, 
the delivery is just, um, you know, impenetrable. And then this Urbane Grandeur um, Packed with the Devil cover. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, I don't have... One thing that was very one thing I don't have on vinyl is domination. Um, I, I, this was a time, 1996, I guess, where I was buying mostly um, CDs. Most people don't realize how kind of out of the loop vinyl became um, in the sort of mid 90s. It didn't really become like a fad again until um, later on in the 90s. But this again is a fucking brilliant album. I, I think this cover sucks. To be honest with you, I think it's garish and kind of like early Photoshop sort of artwork um, doesn't stand the test of time. It's kind of like a Def Leppard video or something and sort of rather natty band photos on the back. But this is a very clever album. And at the time they went on tour with Immortal in Europe, which was a very, very big deal because they, they were sort of giving the nod to black metal and they showed that they were Morbid Angel, um, Immortal and Moonspell, I think, opened. And they were not, a little nod doff of the cap to black metal. As I mean, it does say on the inside of Vault of Madness to black death metal, blah, 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 heads everywhere. So it's not like they weren't, how shall we say, had one foot in hell or one foot in their black metal camp, so to speak. Um, black metal camp, that sounds ominous. Um, but this has Eric Rutan on it as well from Hate Eternal, um, who contributed some cool riffs and some cool bits to it. But this one, that once again, sees Morbid Angel kind of sidestep um, the trends of the time. Like It's a bit like Blessed or Sick. It has, a, it has quite a digital footprint. Um, and, but if you listen now, it doesn't sound as dated as some digital uh, albums of the time. The tone, it all kind of fits into place. And Vincent, again, proving himself in a category of maybe one or at least two or three for the greatest death metal vocalist of all time. It's an inspired, um, darker and more modern sounding record. Um, and there was a sampler, I think, with Terrorizer magazine at the time, which opened with Dominate. And none of us could quite believe when we first heard Dominate. Um, it was so brutal and the lyrics were so extreme. Um, and uh, it really sort of reset Morbid Angel in terms of you know, again, the sort of nascent black metal scene, 96, of course, is where, you know, Cradle and Dimmu are starting to explode and you've got all these other kind of bands. Um, and Morbid Angel could compete. Again, I would give it almost full marks. Uh, and it shows us those four albums are arguably the greatest four um, death metal, you know, sort of, let's say, passage of time, the greatest run of albums I think you could possibly find. Um, very few bands can stand up to that. Maybe someone like Immolation is more consistent over all of the years. I mean, consistently really good, but those four are stellar. Now, for some reason, um, I cannot find my copy of Formulas Fatal to the Flesh, so I will bring it up here as a little square. Um, you know, Vincent leaves, I was thought, let me just say, after Domination, Vincent leaves and a sort of acrimonious fallout with Trey, which will replay itself again over the next coming 20, 25 years. And I personally, I don't think we've seen the last of, the last of it. You'll notice Morbid Angel haven't played in Europe over the last couple of years since Vincent left. Um, why? Who knows? 
But Vincent has been making hay while the sun shines, doing his um, I Am Morbid tours and playing those old albums. And it sort of feels like if Morbid Angel want to um, have one less, one last, you know, trip around the sun or whatever, they're going to have to realign once more. And so I don't think it's beyond maybe a year or two, 2024, you're going to get maybe Morbid Angel one more time. I don't know. Um, Rumour starts here. Anyway, Formula's Fail to the Flesh, which I cannot find. Um, I didn't have it on vinyl. I had it on CD. Um, Formula's is uh, an absolutely astonishing record. It's 1998. Um, and I would take it at 0.5 of a mark off from full marks. And perhaps I'm being a little bit churlish for penalizing it for not being covenant. But if you set your own bar so high, then those are the... Them's the breaks, hey? But on its own terms, Formulas is one of the greatest comebacks stroke We've Lost Our Singer, Fuck You, albums of all time, of all time in metal. Oddly enough, the singing is perhaps the most insignificant element, which is really odd, um, considering how much I've been extolling the virtues of the, the Vincent Enunciation. Um, Formulas doesn't have that. Formulas is a, a much more of a, I suppose, a kind of slightly typical death metal um, gurgle voice you know gurgle what a word anyway this is where trey stepped up to the plate trey decided i think to step up and show how to serve up a dish best served cold or whatever you want to say the revenge on display the ruenge the hunger and fire in the belly of the riffs is off the fucking dial it's an absolutely insane record nothing is not my god it's just if, you, if you've sort of not bothered with this record because you're enthralled to the old, um, you know, the old early Morbid Angel, you need to listen to this record. It's absolutely incredible. However, Formless Fates of the Flesh would be, I think, the last great Morbid Angel album. Um, Gateways, which um, I also don't seem to own. I think I do somewhere. I made, did I have it on CD? I don't know. Those are both two records are missing from my CD collection. Um, gateways and formulas, which I must, um, you know, if I'd been a bit more organized and a bit more um, Northern European and Teutonic about my organizational skills, I might have found them and filtered through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of CDs, possibly even a thousand or something, looking for them. But I thought I can illustrate with a little uh, picture taken from the images um, and don't need to discuss it. Gateways um, is an album I found very difficult to warm to at the time. It felt and still feels like Trey had kind of clocked out of Morbid Angel, shot his load on formulas, and rumour has it doesn't play even some of the rhythm guitar parts on this. I think it was the time that he was obsessed with gaming, um, and it seems this took up most of his mental space at the time. The tempo is slower. Um, the opening two or three tracks are without a doubt strong game, but if you can remind me of the last two or three, what they are, the titles, um, I don't know them. Do you? Yeah, nor I. And that sort of says a lot about Gateways. It's, it's a good record. It's a swampy, dirgy record. Um, it's, it's, it's a strong 7 out of 10 or something like this. Um, and it, it, like I said, it opens with, you know, one or two of the, of, of the pretty cool tracks. But there's something lacking in the ferocity of it. And you can hear that that's just seemingly Trey kind of clocked out. Um, Heretic, I don't own. The next album, Heretic. Um, I hope I'm not rushing through them here, but Heretic 
Um, oh, well, I should mention, of course, that Steve Tucker was the replacement for Vincent if I didn't. But Heretic, I would give a five out of ten, maybe. Um, it's an afterthought. The musical landscape has changed. And by 2003, Morbid Angel were not I really the force in the metal scene they once were. Death metal was sort of more about um, Nile, I suppose, at the time. And other bands were taking their place in the ascendancy. The older death metal bands were sort of fading. New Kids on the Block. <laughs> not New Kids on the Block, but there were New Kids on the Block. Um, and a poorly produced Morbid Angel album. The engineering is poor. Sounds like an afterthought. Little or no memorable tunes. Um... It wasn't going to do much for them. Uh, Jared Anderson from Hate Eternal took over from Tucker for a short period. I'm going to be honest, the band sort of seems in disarray. Promodio played with them around this time. And, um, uh, you know, I remember um, Trey, as soon as he, I think they arrived the day before we played with them in Dublin with Promodio. And um, the day before, Trey found an internet cafe to play Doom, which he was obsessed with. Uh, the video game and he just played all day doom until they closed the shop and the next morning was waiting outside to go and play doom again and they couldn't really get him to come back and do sound check and um, they even seemed to cut songs from their set because he wanted to finish early to go back over to the internet cafe to play doom again and um, they seemed to play 55 minutes maybe seemed like the band at the end of their days you know anyway at the end of my days um so a decade-long kind of saga comes to an end. David Vincent returns. The band start playing festivals. The band are writing. Vincent is wearing a much maligned latex top. Mm. Um, Sandoval's back problems become a bit too much. I mean, I, I, you've seen, I've seen, I saw one festival. Um, Rhodey's lifting him up to the drum stool, and he, he had a, a walking stick at the time. I think he'd really fucked his back from years of playing the drums in this position. Um, and Tim Young replaces him. The writing continues, as we said. They do this show at Vakken in 2006, which was great, really cool show. That was sort of, you know, stamped them back on the map. Um, the writing continues, we're told. Uh, and we, this one song called Nevermore gets trotted out during festival sets. Okay. So seven years after joining the band, we get one of the most contentious metal albums, I suppose, ever released. Our Generation's Coal Lake, um, Illuvid, blah de blah de blah de blah um, What can we say about this record? If you look back over Morbid Angel's career, you realise that um, Trey wrote the music really about 90% of the time over the years, and Vincent wrote, um, Vincent wrote the lyrics. Um, and in publishing terms, that's a 50-50, you know? Uh, and all of this album really points to Trey... I think should take the predominantly the blame for this album, but it points to Trey having nothing left in the tank, being obsessed with gaming and electronic music. Um, you know, you can tell in retrospect some of the death metal songs when I return to it to write this piece are better than I remember. Um, World of Blades, or World of Blades is Marduk, isn't it? Um, Storm of Blades, something of Blades, something of Blades. Um, when I return to write this piece, there are three or four songs that I remember are way better than. Uh, my first listen at the time. But, and if you could shear it down to an EP, as Blessed Out of Sick was maybe meant to, and the very first EP that came out was Nevermore, and people went, oh, okay, this is not so bad. But, if 
They make this sidestep into electronic beats, quite daft sloganeering that would seem a bit ridiculous even on a scooter record. Um, from And it all kind of smacks of a desperate attempt to be cutting edge, and but also a misguided appropriation of creative energy. Um, of course, bands should dare. Um, you know, they don't necessarily have to listen to their fan base and write to order. But there is something of the sort of aging uncle with too much bling, trying to chat up one of the bridesmaids, you know, half his age at the wedding, to the whole thing. Uh, mutton dresses lamb a little bit. And it sort of leaves a very sour taste in your mouth to hear, you know, too extreme, blah, 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 and this sort of kind of uh, vague... Industrial metal was one of the worst... Um, most dated terms you can imagine from the late 90s. It reminds me of samplers you used to get from UK Metal Hammer or just UK New Rock and Hammer or whatever it was called. When they took the metal out from Metal Hammer and then there was like bush and hole and all these three colours red, all this nonsense on the front of Metal Hammer because metal at the time was, um, you know, going through this period where traditional metal was just being, you know, just hammered into the ground, especially in the UK press. And Illuvid sounds like something from that late 90s period that would have been on Earache when they were trying to do the browning or something, or, or I don't know, fudge tunnel or something, something with a drum machine. And it sounded like Morbid Angel were, it sounded like it should be a Trey solo album from 99. Um, there is a, there is a doubt, there is no doubt a, a path, and I talked about this in my Slayer call from the grave. Um, you kind of felt embarrassed for the band, but there was, an, there was another path the band could have taken, a slower, darker path Morbid Angel could have taken, which maybe is from God of Emptiness onwards, maybe added some strings or orchestral menace and sated their desire to be considered relevant. Um, but this was not it. Um, Vincent leaves, Tucker returns. And we're sort of reaching the end of this sort of journey, although I don't think it's over yet. Um, Kingdoms Disdained. Um, it's a tough listen. It's uh, six out of ten, maybe. It's just... Maybe it's the deluge of music these days, and that has frazzled my attention span. Um, but getting to the end of D Kingdom's Disdained um, is its a tough listen. It's a complex, dark, twisted record. There's no doubt about that. But unlike, for example, an Immolation album from recent years, it refuses to give up uh, hooks. Take Atonement by Immolation. Masterpiece. A masterpiece. And you thought maybe more angel, mm, look at what Immolation are doing. You can have complex, dark and twisted stuff, but hook it in. Placing tunes to the titles or recognising a chorus as a task, which I still think was, should be an important thing, even in death metal. Production is missing dynamics. The drum sound isn't great. Uh, the, who is the record label? I don't know. It's not a bad record, but 2017 is now five years ago. The band haven't returned to Europe. A couple of live videos... I saw, seemed to see, to show a drunk Trey um, butchering songs on some of the re last few tours. All point to a band clearly in the last phase of their career. Maybe Trey has nothing left in the tank and we should all be thankful that they gave us so many incredible, um, masterful albums over the years. Arguably the greatest death metal band of them all. And we must accept that maybe death metal is a young man's game and the baton has been handed to a whole new generation of bands. Um, but I don't know. I think maybe there's one more twist in the tale and you'd be daft to write them off. Um, and let's be honest. Considering all the fucking great records they've given us, 
the idea of one last Morbid Angel tune. One last Morbid Angel great tune should be, you know, something we all would like to hear someday. But who knows, who knows. Um, I suppose we should settle for one last tour, an all to the madness only, blessed are the sick tour with Vincent and Trey on the same stage, maybe for the last time. But there you go, my friends. My first call from the grave in a long time. It's a bit disorganized and ramshackle. And I will take, of course, um, if anybody wants to send me a copy of Covenant or Domination on record, by God damn it, feel free. Um, but there it is. Arguably the greatest death metal band of all time, Morbid Angel. Um, and probably I wouldn't hear an argument against that claim. There we are, my friends. Call from the grave, all over the place, hocus pocus, etc., etc. Yeah, soccer.